Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading, I'm Caroline Stephen. He is one of five recipients of the Cross of Valor, Australia's highest bravery decoration and the civilian equivalent to the Victorian Cross. It's awarded to people who have risked their own lives to save others. Alan Sparks was a policeman in the New South Wales force for over 20 years. His rescue of a young boy swept 600 metres down a stormwater drain, turned him into a national hero. But Alan's bravery came at a cost. Years of police work took their toll, and after seeing two of his police comrades shot down in a night raid, and after rescuing Jai Galloway from the stormwater drain, he spiralled into post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and the depths of suicide. Alan's memoir, The Cost of Bravery, is his journey in the police force and how he rebuilt his mind, body and soul and started a new course in life that has seen him fulfil his deepest dreams and given back his sense of self-worth. His story has been told on 60 Minutes, A Current Affair and all major national radio stations. I saw Alan speak at the Happiness and Its Causes conference at Luna Park a couple of months ago. When he told his story on stage, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, and consequently, I approached Alan for an interview where we spent a morning together. In Alan, I saw true greatness, a man who had overcome his demons and now works to help others do the same. In this cafe conversation, here is Alan Sparks' story. I'm sitting here with Alan Sparks and he's laughing hysterically in a cafe conversation. Alan, I met you at the Happiness and Its Causes conference two weeks ago in Luna Park, Sydney, and you spoke for about 20 minutes and there was not a dry eye in the house. Your story is so moving. And just to share a little bit about it, you have been awarded the Cross of Valour, which is the civilian equivalent of the Victorian Cross. You're known as a hero around Australia for rescuing many people's lives. Let's start at the very beginning. You always wanted to be a cop, is that right? I did, yeah, as a young child and then later on in my late years at high school. Where was your first police job? Darlinghurst Police Station in the crime (laughs) capital of Sydney. Um, As a young 19-year-old, green, very naive boy from the bush, walking the streets of Darlinghurst and King's Cross. Now, after a while, you moved up to Coffs Harbour, where at Crescent Head there was a night raid that made an impact on you for the rest of your life. Would you like to tell us what happened that night? Yeah, there's two police officers who were working at Kempsey Police Station uh, were called out to Crescent Head to a domestic dispute. A lady had rung up and said that her ex-boyfriend had graffitied her van and had threatened to kill her. And the two police officers, Bob Spears and Pete Addison, They drove out to Crescent Head 
pulled up at this guy's driveway to speak to him and he was there waiting for them, dressed in camouflage gear and had a high-powered rifle. Then a gunfight uh, took place and Bob was shot and killed. And you saw that? No, I didn't actually see that. But you saw him lying on the road? Yeah, sometime later. And Pete Addison, uh, who's a good mate of mine, uh, Pete tried to get help for Bob, broke into a home to try to get to a telephone, and unfortunately there was a miscommunication and, and uh, he blew that there was no phone in the home. And he went outside and the gunman uh, stalked him down and shot and killed Pete as well. Then my job as part of the Special Weapons Operations team was to uh, lead a team of other police to go to various places in Crescent Head and rescue people who the commanders thought the gunman was going to murder as well. So it took a few hours to get that done and then the, the guys from Sydney came up, the state protection guys from Sydney, and the gunman's home was, uh, was assaulted and uh, was found to have taken his own life. And then it was a case of going and spending time with Bob and, uh, and then I spent some time sitting down with Pete and trying to process what, what in God's name had gone wrong that night. Now, shortly after this, there was another event that had a huge impact on your life. Jai Galloway was 12 years old and there had been floodwaters that he was playing in and he and his boogie board got sucked down a stormwater drain. You were a detective at the time and one of the first to arrive on the scene. What happened that day? Yeah, there'd been days and days of torrential rain at Coffs Harbour and three little boys had been playing in a flooded creek. And as you said, young Jai got uh, swept, or sucked down into a stormwater pipe at the diameter of a hula hoop and he was eventually washed 600 metres down this pipe where in the pitch dark he slammed into some timber which miraculously had been jammed across the pipe. And he spent 45 minutes in there being pounded by floodwaters and the freezing cold and the pitch dark screaming for his life and my workmate and I, Gav Dengate, we thought we could see Jai in the first section of the drain where he got washed into and we got into the drain system and... You jumped in with the rope around you? Yeah, and got uh, washed down this pipe but what we thought was Jai's body was actually just some debris and then we got back to the surface and they were told they could hear a child screaming down the Pacific Highway and that's when we realised just how far he'd been washed down. And that was 600 metres? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we all raced down there and the highway was blocked off. There's ambulance crews there and this manhole cover had been removed and we raced over and there was a paramedic trying to communicate with these screams that were coming up through the water. We couldn't see anyone, just hear these screams. This kid was basically dying before us. We got down into the drain system again and, and um, into a junction of six stormwater pipes and took a little bit of a calculated punt on which one we thought he was up. And I uh, eventually uh, got hold of young Jai about 30 metres up the pipe. What was it like in the stormwater drain? Not very nice. Um, it was describe it, please? In the first drain system I went down, the, the further I went down, the darker and darker it became, the colder it became, the more enclosed it became, and eventually I, was, I actually dammed myself in and started to drown. And then when we got down to the second part, it was actually crawling against the water flow trying to get to Jai. And there was this just morbid fear that... I wasn't going to get to him in time. He was going to get, either it was going to rain again, we'd all drown, or, or he'd get washed away. So trying to claw my way up a stormwater pipe that was full of mud and sludge and all sorts of things I don't even think about. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was really physically draining. I was just exhausted through, I think, the psychological trauma I, was, I had and was experiencing and just a physical exertion of trying to get to this kid. And then you saw his face, his little white face in the torch. Yeah, and then, then it was like, oh please don't let him get washed away now. But I was able to convince him to let go of the pipe and, uh, and he got washed down into my arms. 
And I'll, I'll never forget that feeling of actually having him and thinking, my goodness me, you know, after, after all this time and all this effort, we've actually, we have this child, we have actually saved him. And then sort of pushed him in front of me and got him down to Michael Meyer, the paramedic, and, and there's some beautiful footage captured by the TV crews of this little boy being lifted up out of this, this manhole and it's just the most emotive thing I think I've ever, ever seen and I, still makes um, tears well off my eyes when I actually see it, to see this little kid come up out of the drain. So Jai was rescued and you went home in the car and when you were going home, you started to cry and cry uncontrollably. Yeah, what I, happened? The, we were being driven back to work and I started to break down in the car and I, I realised now it was just because of all the, the emotions of that day and pent-up emotions from Crescent Head. I realised now I was actually suffering from PTSD and when I got back to the police station, I got into the crime scene unit. Into I wanted to have a shower because I just felt so filthy, <laughs> and uh, it didn't look real good. And uh, I was in the in the shower, and I just collapsed in the shower, and was just curled up in the fetal position, just sobbing my eyes out. My wife, who was a detective sergeant, she raced over because she hadn't actually heard on the radio what was going on. Just saw her husband get out of the car in his boxer shorts, holding his gun and handcuffs, and not looking all that great. And by the time Deb got over to the um, to the shower, she found me there, just curled up and, and sobbing. And this was the beginning of a, a downward spiral for you. Yeah, it really was. That was the start of it. For a week after that rescue, I just didn't sleep. I just couldn't sleep. I had too much going on in my head, and just too wound up. Things started to uh, go very, very bad from that point in time. You said a really amazing statistic that for every policeman who's sh- who's killed on the job, five take their own lives. Yeah, that's a statistics that is, is discussed, I think, with a lot of uh, emotion behind those stats. I think that we understand now more about what happens to people who are in jobs such as the police and the fire brigade and the ambulance and the SES and the military who do develop these illnesses such as PTSD and chronic depression anxiety that if they're not treated, if they're not recognised, uh, the ultimate psychological breakdown leads to people being suicidal. Were you ever suicidal? Oh, absolutely, uh, for a long time. Tell us about an incident. Yeah, the, the crux came when um, I decided that was the day that I was going to take my own life and I went to work and got my gun out um, and was going to go and take my own life. And a workmate walked in and, and took my gun from me. And I realised that the feelings that I had at that time of, of just feeling completely hopeless and worthless and ashamed and guilty and... Uh, and this is after rescuing so many people's lives. Yeah, but it's, I think it's a matter of... You know, many things can cause PTSD. Many mm. things can cause depression, anxiety, those sorts of mental illnesses. Many things can cause them. What, what happened during PSD? Did you, PTSD? Did you replay those circumstances over and over in your mind? What was actually going through your head? Yeah, a classic symptom of PTSD is you relive those moments. You're trying, trying desperately um, not to re- to remember them, but they they just keep booming through in your head, and it's like you're watching um, a TV screen or being surrounded by TV screens, and everywhere you look, you are seeing and reliving those moments. So you relived Crescent Head, you relived the drain with Jai. I think one of the problems is is that the things that you are reliving tend to become more amplified. Oh, really? And all your senses are being called upon you. The things you can see, the things you can hear, things you can smell, things you can feel. All those emotions, all those senses actually 
become amplified as well. And you just can't seem to escape from it. And then you, you lose control of yourself. You, you feel as though you're going mad. You're terrified you're going mad. You're terrified of what you'll do to yourself. Terrified that you'll never get better. And it all just turns into this horrible melting pot of insidious feelings and emotions. So this, this happened for quite a few years and you went and saw a psychiatrist and got some help and started taking steps towards recovery. But at the same time, you were kicked out of the cops. Yeah, the recovery process started the night that I tried to take my own life and it went on for a very, very long time uh, with my intention of always trying to go back to work because I love my job so much. But I was... You were a born cop, that's what your wife said. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I love my job. I was very proud of my job. I was pretty proud of what police do and still am to this day very proud of what police do. But because of the stigma of mental illness back then, you were basically deemed if you had a psychological injury, you were unfit for duty and you could never get better. And I think that was a misconception that, that is changing. I think people realise now that people can overcome things like PTSD, people can recover, they can overcome depression and like illnesses and it's not a, it's not a life sentence. And in many ways, when you do recover, you become a more resilient, stronger and smarter person. During your recovery, you had a faint, faint dream of a boat. Tell us about that. Yeah, I used to sit in this in the waiting room of the psychiatric unit. Not the most pleasant place to be, but my go-to place was I would be, have this vision of being on a yacht sailing across an ocean. And it was a very, very exciting, pleasurable so in the depth of your depression, this was your yeah, it was, fantasy? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, as fate would have it, that fantasy turned into a reality. How did you do that? Well, I first of all I had to convince my wife that it was a really smart idea to go and buy a boat <laughs> halfway around the world and go and sail it. After the cops had kicked you out? Yeah, and just small things like Deb suffering from chronic seasickness, the fact she didn't know how to sail. <laughs> Our children were 9 and 14, um, didn't know how to sail a boat. Just minor, minor things to worry about. So we went to England in 2009 and bought a yacht and then spent the next 19 months sailing her 16,000 nautical miles back home to Australia. And this was a journey of recovery for you? This, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Was there a moment when you were sailing across the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans where you, you actually remember casting off your demons? Very, very clearly, Carolyn. Uh, it was in May 2010 and we'd sailed, set sail from the Galapagos Islands a few days beforehand. We were about a third of the way through a 3,000-mile passage across the Pacific. And there was one particular morning where I'd been on watch and everybody else was down below asleep. And I'd been following the full moon. Uh, she was sort of setting down in front of me and the, the sun was rising in the back and it was, it was like I, I had transformed from the, the psych unit to this just this very moment where my boat was sailing so beautifully. The seas were in a, such a lovely, relaxed, flowing state. The boat couldn't have been sailing better. And it was like looking to the back and saying, you know, it's time to throw everything over the back of the boat, cast away all the, all the evils and, and all the troubles and traumas and just, just cleanse my soul and get rid of them. And then look to the front of the boat saying, there's my future, there's my new life ahead of me. And I captured that little moment on my little um, digital camera that I had and I play that video so regularly because it's, it just means so much to me. Did your feelings of self-worth start to come back during this time sailing? They developed uh, continuously. The, the, when we left England, the further we sailed, the more my worth increased. But that particular morning, at that stage of my life, my sense of worth was never greater, never stronger. 
And do you think that's what's made you recover from post-traumatic stress? Oh, absolutely. A lot of hard work, the unending and undying support of my wife and my children have been uh, instrumental in my recovery. The, the, the support from friends who understand what I went through were all, all elements that, that helped the psychiatric care that I received, the medication that I was on. You can't just say it's one thing. I think that a person's recovery from, from a psychological injury such as PTSD and depression, there are many factors that you need to have in place to allow you to have that recovery. And they are things that you will be eternally grateful for. From this interview, what's the message you would like people to take away? Because for me, what I take away from your story is to go and do what it is you really want to do. If you want to sail a boat, go and make that reality. Yeah, look, it's an old cliche, but we do have one life. And having done the job that I did do and and thousands of people are still doing, we see humanity um, at its worst. We see people suffering in terrible situations. And we need to just realise that we don't ever get a minute back. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. And if you do not go and do the things that you really want to do that mean so much in your heart, then you'll never live the life that you, I don't say you should do, but if you, if you go and do that, you will enrich your life in ways that you never thought possible. And you will probably have experiences that you will treasure for every day forward in your life. And I just feel so sorry for people to get caught up in a system where they think they can't escape from and it takes great courage to step out of that. But if you can, if you can just have the, the impetus to go and do it, you'll then enter a, a pathway of life that will can branch off into areas you never thought possible. And, and so much enrichment and fulfilment and worth um, will just come flooding to you. So you rescued many people's lives. And in being a hero, it came at a cost to yourself and you struggled and worked really hard to regain your sense of self. Are you grateful for everything that's happened? Yeah, I really am grateful for the things that went wrong in my life because I now have a life that I would never have had, I don't believe, if those things hadn't gone wrong. I'm obviously very mindful of the damage that it did cause to my wife and family. But the fact that they are, we are still all together and supporting each other um, shows me that they perhaps have forgiven me for what, what had happened. But it has also given me the opportunity to understand people a whole lot better than what I ever did before. And it, and it also makes me understand how it is so important that we don't live in the past. Because I was saying yeah, there's no future in the past, and there's not. But we can learn from those experiences and we can use those experiences to make our future better. Alan, you're such an inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. You have written a book, The Cost of Bravery. Where can listeners go to pick up a copy? Uh, You can buy it online. It was published by Penguin Books Australia in uh, May 2013 and it's still available online through Penguin website or Booktopia and some of the major bookstores may still be carrying it. And if people have any, anything they would like to ask me about it, they can contact me through my website as well. Alan, thank you so much. Great to talk to you, Carolyn. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear mentoree Maria Montgomery on her trading journey. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, thanks for your company. 
We'll see you next time. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.